0: BLOB TALK RADIO
1: Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to the show. It is Thursday, May 14th, 2020. I'm your host, Scott Fullerton. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Leftist Trade Show today. I really do appreciate it. Hope you guys are having a fantastic week. Tomorrow is Friday, and you know what? For the first time, it kind of feels like a Friday here in Northeast Ohio. Our retailers went back to work on Tuesday. And tomorrow, restaurants can open for outside patio dining, and you can get your hair cut. Hair salons will be open. I get to fix this mop of mine. I'm so excited. So, yeah, things are slowly starting to come back to normal. I think we're still being cautious. There's lots of masks out, which is good. I still see people doing social distancing. We have to do this smart. But I think if we all are in this together, we can get through this. So it kind of feels like a real weekend starting tomorrow. And I'm a little excited for it, I got to tell you. Guys, if you missed last night's show, it was an amazing show. We did a Mystical Wednesday where I had two fantastic guests. I interviewed Brandon Kniefel. He was originally, you met him on Finding Prince Charming, the male-on-male gay dating show on Logo a while back. He was the runner-up, but he is also a great motivational speaker. He's a mystic. He's a healer. He's a spiritual advisor, and we had a really good conversation about how all that came about, and then my good friend Kyle Thomas came back on the show. Kyle's an astrologer. Read my chart, talked about what to look for and everything. We talked about a reading he did a year ago. It was eerily accurate to what everything's going through now. So kind of cool and lots of fun. And we kicked off a special um, J&J buzz. You know, we have my buddies from Nashville, uh, Josh and his fiance, Jeffrey, do their pop three-minute buzz. Today, we're going to start off with our very first Mental Health Minute I'm so excited to be bringing you these experts from all around the country here. And tonight I'm going to introduce you to Stephanie Schroeder. She is a mental health advocate out of New York City. She's edited a book. She's going to tell all about herself in just a second. But she's going to do a mental health minute every other Thursday for us from here on out. Guys, I'm loving having this like council of elders here that are coming on the show being special correspondents. We have entertainment. We have mental health. We have LGBT travel. We have fitness starting tomorrow with Jake Dean Taylor. We have all sorts of music. Two great musicians that are going to be doing some great in, information for us. So I'm really excited about how that's working out. And then after Stephanie here in just a couple minutes, have two fantastic interviews set up for you tonight. The first one will be live. Justin Littleton will be coming on. He is a motivational speaker. He is a trainer. He is just all around super guy. I met him on social. We'll go into that in a bit. But he really advocates for three things which I'm in love with. Movement, queer identity, and mental health. And we're going to talk about all three things with Justin in just a few minutes on that. And then afterwards I have a special pre-tape interview I did just the other day with my buddy Jeffrey Johns. He has a musical premiering tomorrow on all your major streaming outlets where you can order a streaming movie, video on demand, called Still Waiting in the Wings. It's a follow-up to his hit Waiting in the Wings musical based out of New York Broadway. It has great cameos and guest stars all over it. The cast is amazing, so we will talk to him in the second part of the show today so thanks for tuning in uh, be sure to tell all your friends and hit subscribe at all your favorite uh, podcast subscriber uh distributors i can't speak tonight i don't know what it is i have a condition let's go ahead and jump into it though and start our very first mental health minute with stephanie schroeder and when we come back we'll be talking to justin littleton So you're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network. Stephanie, take it away, please. So in this first
2: segment of Mental Health Midnight, I'd like to introduce myself, the work I do, and the impact it has on the LGBTQ community. Like, who is Stephanie Schroeder, and why is she talking about mental health? So my Left of Straight bio says I'm a writer, and I am. I've been a freelance journalist for, like, almost 20 years, and I've written hundreds of articles including for the queer women's uh, publication, Curve Magazine. It's been around for a long time. It used to be called D'Nouve. And I believe there's actually a film coming out about uh, the founder and about the magazine, Around the Curve. It's coming out at one of the festivals that is now online. I've also published two books. The first was a memoir called Beautiful Wreck, Sex, Lies, and Suicide, about living with bipolar disorder as a lesbian. More recently, my anthology, co-edited with my friend, Teresa Theofano, who's a social worker, is called Headcase, LGBTQ Writers and Artists on Mental Health and Wellness. Headcase is a groundbreaking collection of personal reflections and artistic representations illustrating the really interesting intersection of mental health, mental illness, and LGBT identity, which I think is really important these days of the Mm non-identity movement. It's written from perspectives of LGBTQ folks living with mental health concerns, as well as like a few, maybe a handful of providers, uh, some of whom have dual status, meaning they also live with mental health issues, as well as being providers. And it's not a manual by mental health providers like so many, so many books before this have been. Like providers telling those of us living with mental illnesses what to do, what not to do. It's not prescriptive at all. Head cases in the voices of LGBTQ people living with mental illness, with stress, mental health issues that are like anxiety, depression, whatever, and about wellness and resilience. And everyone in the book defines all of those terms in their own way. Also in my bio, I bill myself as a grassroots mental health activist. And as I mentioned, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and this was about uh, 17, 18 years ago, and I'm currently in recovery from that illness and have been for some time. So, yes, recovery is possible. And I assist folks in my immediate community, which is like the New York City LGBTQ community, the NYC arts community, NYC social worky community, by hooking them up with appropriate providers and treatment and other resources. I also used to do this thing like people who needed medication but could not afford it. I'd match them with people who had the medication they needed, but who the people who had the medication no longer needed and they could make an exchange, you know, but it's not my major thing anymore. And so through my own recovery is how I moved into peer work, peer support workers. And we have a lot of titles, peer advocates, peer counselors, peer specialists, are folks who've been successful in our own recovery process and we're now helping others. And how do we do that? To shared understanding, respect, and mutual empowerment. We help other folks get into treatment, stay engaged in the recovery process, and this reduces the likelihood of relapse for most folks. Uh, and peer services, peer support treatment beyond a clinical setting, such as with your psychiatrist, therapist, if you're in a homeless shelter for mental health, or wherever, into your daily life. And it makes recovery sustainable. And Let me tell you, peer support is not pie-in-the-sky theory, as a lot of people will say it is. They'll say it's yes, But it's really an evidence-based practice proven effective in many different settings and with a wide range of folks who experience mental health concerns. And I'm a certified New York State peer specialist. I became certified by the New York State Office of Mental Health. Through a training program and certification program, certification requirements vary state by state, but all states, I I believe all states now have a program. My day job is as a peer advocate and housing specialist at a women's mental health shelter on the east side of Manhattan. We have 85 beds, which is, you know, actually very small for a New York city shelter and our population, which I hate the word population. We serve women ages 45 and over living with mental health issues and If you have any questions about any of this, please get at me either through my website, www.stephanieschroderauthor.com, or hit me up on social media, IG and Twitter. They're both Steph S. And I want to remind you that May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And I want to tell you about some actions that you can take to help friends, loved ones, and other folks in the community who might be struggling with mental health challenges. First of all, I want to let you know, one in five people will experience a diagnosable mental health condition in their lifetime. But five out of five people will go through a challenging time that affects their mental health. And, you know, right now it could be COVID that's really challenging a lot of people. It could be stress of breakups, stress of people living in anti-LGBTQ situations with their parents or other people who don't accept them, whatever it is. There are simple things that you can do and say to help these people who are struggling get through the really hard times. First, there are some quick facts and stats. A strong social support system, as you can imagine, improves mental health outcomes and the ability to bounce back from stressful situations for most folks.
1: Resilience.
2: LGBT folks have a lot of resilience or we wouldn't be here. One study found that providing support to other people increased activity in the part of the brain associated, associated with reward. So it's rewarding to help other people, aside from, of course, getting them help. And for young folks who came out as LGBTQ, those who had at least one accepting and supportive adult were 40% less likely to attempt suicide. And as you know, and as I did a lot of research search on for my book, LGBT folks are like two or three times as likely to commit suicide or try to attempt suicide as straight folks. And trans folks are almost half as likely, 50% more likely to try suicide. So how can you help? By actively listening, hearing what a person has to say. Active listening is when you put everything aside and give someone your complete attention to make sure you're understanding clearly. Don't compare. If a friend, loved one or partner is going through a really tough situation like a lot of people are now doing COVID, stuck in the house, stuck with people maybe they don't like, or just having a really hard time being isolated, and they ask you for your support, you might be tempted to tell them about something similar in your life. Like if they're going through a breakup, you might tell them about your breakup and how hard your breakup was. And it might become like a how hard my breakup was, Olympics. But be careful not to compare experiences that might make people feel like their pain isn't valid. So don't mention how much harder things are for you. Just please listen to them. Ask what you can do, and please be specific helpful to you might be helpful to someone else but that's not necessarily the case and you also might get a response like I don't need anything I'm fine that's like anyone's default position you know hello how are you I am fine so instead offer up a few suggestions for things that you could ostensibly do like can I do your laundry may I make a meal or friend some errands for you keep your word if you have offered your support to someone and then told them you would do something keep your word if somebody's struggling, the last thing they ever want to do, be abandoned by you. But if you absolutely, you know, things come up, if you absolutely can't honor your promise, be really sincere and make an apology and find another time that you can do that thing you said you would. Don't judge, and this is really important. To truly be supportive of someone, put your personal opinions aside. You might be biased in certain ways, but don't even think about it. They might be struggling because of a the mistake they made. You might think they're overreacting to something that you wouldn't react that way to, but that doesn't matter. You will never know what it is truly like to be that person in that moment. Criticizing their pain is not helpful. Offer to join them. When someone's going through a really hard time, taking care of everyday life things can make them feel paralyzed. Offer to go to the doctor with them or walk their dog or pick up groceries or a prescription. Anything that can lighten their load for them would probably make them feel better. And know when more serious help is needed. Sometimes the support you can offer won't be enough, and that's okay. If you notice your friend or loved one is going through hard times, like for over a few weeks or even a month, maybe it's time they really need professional help. They may be having a mental health condition rather than just stress. Um, So don't be afraid to encourage them to seek help from a mental health professional. And if they need help, help them find one. And if someone you care about is in immediate danger of taking suicidal action, of course call 911 or go to the local emergency room. And and this is this is really important. Talking about suicide does not push someone to to attempt suicide. If you believe a friend or any sort of loved one is going to take their own life, please ask them, are you going to take your own life? Are you thinking about suicide? Are you thinking about harming yourself? Do you have a plan to harm yourself? This will not make them attempt suicide. It could actually disarm them. And finally, if you want to learn more about how to help friends, how to help the community, and other folks who are struggling, check out Mental Health First Aid. Mental health system is great. I took the training. It's a skills-based training that teaches participants to identify, understand, and respond to mental health and also substance use issues. When I took it, it was a one-day training, and I think it's now online. It's a certificate thing. You get a certificate. But more than that, you really get an understanding of what it is to, to be in a situation where you're stressed out and your mental health is affected, as most of us do at some point in our life, and what to do for other folks. When that happens, um, you can find Mental Health First Date in your city or state at mental.org. Check it out. That's been the Mental Health Minute. You can find me at Stephanie Schroeder, com and on Instagram and Twitter at StephS910. Listen to me every other Thursday here on Left is Straight.
1: All righty, Stephanie, we are looking forward to that. Thank you so much for being our special correspondent on mental health. Guys, Stephanie has given me a copy of Head Case, uh, LGBTQ writers and artists on mental health and wellness that she has autographed. We are going to do a giveaway for that, so be sure to check the social media how you can get an autographed copy of Stephanie's book. But let's go on with the show. I'm so excited, guys. My next guest is on the show for the very first time. He came across my attention on Instagram, and I had to find out more about him. He's a charming young man who champions movement, mental health, and accepting our queerness. He's created his own company, Justin Lifts Things, where he offers quality support in both fitness training, eating disorders, and just owning your self-image and making it a positive one. He's also doing great work with the Out Foundation and the Trevor Project, I'm so excited to talk to him, so please welcome to the Left and Straight show, Mr. Justin Littleton. Justin, how you doing, man?
3: I am doing so well, Scott. Thank you so, so much. I, I appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate the resources, just like this, particularly during such a difficult time for this queer community. So um, nothing but appreciation. I'm, I'm grateful to be here.
1: Well, it is my pleasure, my friend. It's great getting to know you. Like I said, I reached out. On social media, I saw some of your posts. You're doing such great things out there. How are you holding up over COVID-19? I mean, you do, are you able to still work? Are you an essential worker? What about your business side? How are you holding up?
3: Yeah, you know what's funny is I I have a lot of privilege, and I think when I start any conversation, I like to I like to open with that. But I I do currently have the privilege of still working, and if anything, I think work is. For me personally, um, gotten a lot heavier. I work at a recovery center for eating disorders, um, and most recently as a digital crisis worker for the Trevor, Trevor Project. Um, and I think as many of your listeners are likely experiencing, um, you know, the nation and the world um, is is going through a lot of a lot of stress and a lot of, a lot of change. Um, um, so we are seeing a demand for our work more than I think we've ever seen before. So um, holding a lot of feelings with that, I think, and, and part, of, part of working in therapy is really holding both sides, I guess, is privilege for the opportunity to work and then also, um, you know, going through a lot of the same stressors myself and how to hold myself as a caregiver in this industry, um, but also sure. find some time to be a, a recipient of care too, which I think we're all really struggling with.
1: There you go. Front, you're a frontline worker, my friend. I mean, it's a lot to deal with and we need to appreciate you and all those on the front lines doing with uh, medical, emotional well-being of people. So thank you for that. I mean, I, I've told my friends I was talking about getting ready for these interviews today and you are a 24-year-old young man that looks about 19 and has the wisdom <laughs> of about a 55-year-old. So it's like, you're, you're, you're the total package, my friend. So I love having you on. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. I,
3: I, I love that description. I'm going to start using that for all, all of my biographies.
1: <laughs> there you go. Looks 19, Wisdom of 55. Do it every time. There you go. Let's <laughs> throw a little bit of background, Justin. Let my listeners know uh, where you're from, what kind of a kid were you growing up, and what did you first want to be when you grew up?
3: Uh, Those are some good questions. I am from California, born and raised. we were just talking kind of off scene. I I have been in California my entire life and have only recently started traveling. And then COVID-19 has kind of put some restrictions on that. Um, (laughs) California born and raised. I grew up in Northern California. I'm I'm in Santa Barbara, California now. Um, As a kid, I think Um, You know, I I haven't gone back there, surprisingly, ironically, because this is what we do a lot in work. I have not personally gone back to who I was as a child for a very long time, but um, I think by nature, I was a very playful kid. I think I was a kid who was really longing for a lot and and someone who was constantly looking for role models and support. and I often talk in my work currently that those were usually media sources like the one that we're actually talking on right now. Um, and I think I, I use my platform or I'm trying to use my platform as a kind of pay it forward, um, you know, be the role model that I wanted in my youth that I didn't necessarily feel like I had. Um, I think by nature I've always been really playful. I think as a young adult now I'm trying to step a little bit back into that playfulness maybe that I was missing growing up. Um, but certainly, I mean, um, a happy, a pretty, a pretty happy kid. My life was very vanilla, believe it or not. Um, (laughs) yeah, I, I missed your third question. What was, what was the last question?
1: When, what did you first want, what were your dreams when you were growing up? What did you think you were going to be when you grew up?
3: I have always wanted to be, which is ironic because I have no skill in singing, but I have always wanted to be (laughs) a singer. Um, and I cannot sing for the life of me, but I sing all day, all the time. Um, it was between that, which was very unrealistic. And then I, I always wanted to actually be an author and that's, that's not something that I've really, um, that I've really practiced actually in my life. But when I was younger, I used to write all the time and, and writing was something really important to me. And, um, I think looking now in work that that I do um, in therapy with clients and even on social media, I think um, it's, it's been fun to kind of let those feelings out in captions or, or, or thoughts of gratitude. I'm really into the practice of gratitude. And that's kind of where my writing's been at recently. Um, but yeah, I wanted to be a singer and an author and neither of those have come true yet, but I, I still have
1: hope. There you go. The hope is always springs eternal. I like that a lot. And as I said in your intro, one of the things you're passionate about is claiming your queer identity, which I love. Not really interested in coming out stories, but I do like to know, when did you first come out to yourself, and when did you first discover your tribe, um, a gay community?
3: Uh, good good question. Um, I, I, that's a hard question, you know, the first time that I think you realize it, because I think um, I, didn't, I, I, I didn't have the, the self-concept, I don't think, of I Am Queer until maybe 12 or 13. Um, some folks are surprised that that's really early and I've had some folks really surprised like, oh my gosh, that's so late. I, I also have distinct memories and I was just talking to a friend about this, but I remember vividly when I was about five or six when my grandmother took me to a Peter Pan play and I was fixated over the actor who had played Peter Pan so much so that I almost felt like sick. I, I could not stop thinking about him. And I think retrospectively, um, you know, I had a crush on him. And I don't think I had the verbiage at that age or even the the knowledge of, you know, that it was an attraction. Um, so right. it's hard to say when I when I realized it, you know, I think certainly at 12 or 13, but I think I was showing signs or kind of stepping into into that awareness as early as four or five, which is kind of
1: crazy to look back on. And then when who was, the, who was the first person you came out here? When did you first find a community in the LGBTQ community?
3: Mm. Um, the, the first people that I came out to was, uh, I think, as, as many of us do, was a bunch of my girlfriends. And I attribute, um, really, and, and this is kind of an alarming statement, but I do, I attribute my life to them. I mean, at the time, I, I really struggled, and I talk a lot about, my own privilege growing up in that I had a community of girls who, uh, you know, didn't really blink when when I did come out to them um, and were so supportive. And I had such a a strong foundation when I did finally come out to, you know, my communities at the time, which were my school, my family. Um, You know, I grew up with seven siblings. I had, you know, five, six brothers. Um, All of that felt very scary to me. And I knew that I had this really strong, You know, I want to say my first tribe was was these girls, um, a few of whom also now identify within the queer community at that time who didn't, but, um, you know, they really caught me. And I think when I look at health disparities, that's what I do in in my work, um, and I'm really interested in on, on queer mental health disparities. Um, you know, the question, of course, is what's the difference between a resilient queer member of this community and, and someone who is struggling with some mental health disorders that I may see in my line of work. And, and I think a huge contributor to that, of course, is our support of others. And, and I was really, really grateful to have some beautiful women who, who supported me so, so much. Um, my first, I think, queer communities certainly came um, in college. Um, I didn't have a huge queer community in my high school, or at least I didn't feel like I did. Um, In college, I certainly started to expand that. And and I think like many of us, um, started to explore my identities in ways that I didn't really know existed and, and that was really exciting as I started to learn who I was and um, it, you know I, I look like a 19 year old I forgot how old you said I am 52 or something and uh, I always like to, <laughs> to own the humility of I am only 24 I think I'm still exploring what my tribe looks like and building that tribe um, you know I'm certainly not all knowing of who I am and I think that's changing and I think that's okay to hold to um, certainly yeah. um, but I, I, I think college college was such an important time of my life where I was exploring that identity, and I think that's why these times are so difficult right now um, with members of our queer community who are maybe at home or um, are sheltering at places in in environments that maybe are not the safest or have limited, um, you know, they have their first year in college, and they really get to dip their toes into everything that is affirming of their gender or sexual identities, and then they're back at home where they have to maybe mask that, and I know that a lot of a lot of our queer community is out there experiencing that, maybe listening to me right now. I don't know. And my heart is just is out for them. Um, you know, I, that's that's um, that's so unfortunate. And I, I, I wish, I, I hope that we have resources for them to support them.
1: Very well said. We've talked about it on the show with some other guests over the past couple of weeks where it is, you, you do have to consider that. There are a lot of people that have been stuck sheltering in place with either parents that don't approve of them being gay or roommates that don't understand or just in a bad place where it's kind of just been exasperated so we have to think of those people and the mental health aspects of that involved we've been talking the other day too i was talking with my friends and pride of course is being canceled left right and center in a lot of cities Mm -hmm. and it's not the point of having pride a virtual pride is going to be nice it's going to be great we're going to have great performances and stuff but the point of pride really is that community and finding that tribe and getting that hug and seeing your friends and being able to get out there and realize what the community is that's going to be missed this year i think that's going to be very tough with a virtual pride uh what are your thoughts on that
3: I I absolutely agree. I mean, the first pride Parade that I went to was I think I was 17. And I, you know, I, I can't put words to what it's like to be affirmed when you feel like you've never been affirmed in your life. Um, and, and um, really beautiful. And, and, you know, I, I, <laughs> kind of ironically consider myself now as a young 24 year old more of an optimist than a pessimist even though most of my life i feel like i've kind of been been a pessimist but um (laughs) i hope that this community is going to be resilient through this and and build a community in ways um that are meaningful with with obvious restrictions that COVID 19 you know kind of lay on us um when working with queer youth, I think it's so important to empower this community. This community has been through so, so, so much. And I have no doubt that this community will rise again after the pandemic. Um, But I mean, also, you know, grieving over the loss of of a really, you know, fantastically affirming event. You know, I I know I certainly am with with my tribe, we're already upset about it. Um, So I I don't know how to make meaning out of this yet. I think, I think meaning will maybe come from it at some point. And I think right now at least what I've been doing for myself as a queer person and then a provider of mental health care is, is just holding space for whatever negative emotions and there are certainly many for many different reasons.
1: There you go. Well said. Yeah, and, and you said it very well too. Our community and specifically the LGBTQ community has been this before. I'm an older gay. So I've been through AIDS. I, um, this was a pandemic in our community period and there was, a, it was a rough time and we came through it more resilient uh, than ever. So I think that our community especially can see what can happen on the other side, but we were the ones that did shut down the bathhouses, stop the having mm-hmm. made make sure that everyone had condoms. I mean, we were very responsible about it. And I think that's, Part of what this is now is we don't see all the responsibility necessary that we had in our community. I think that's why our community is handling this so much better. But it's very interesting to see coming from a historical background, for sure. Let's make this all about you, you, you here for a little bit here, my friend. Um, I want to start. <laughs> we're going to talk about your activism and things. Let's start with something simple like the... Um, your transformation, your physical transformation, your health and fitness, because I remember reading that you at one point actually overtrained and was overfitness. Talk about your journey. Where did your fitness journey mm-hmm. begin? How did you get to that place? And how have you been able to balance yourself out now personally?
3: Yeah, such a good conversation and, and something definitely that's really intimate, I think in in my life and and you know I think um I always like to start this conversation with I think I'm still exploring it and and I made a post today that was very honest and transparent of um I think it's Brene Brown who says I'm not the map maker I am a traveler like I I you know I am still on this journey journey with with my listeners um you know whoever those may be um but yeah I I could talk about this probably for days I Um, my relationship with movement started, I think, really young. I have an identical twin brother who, you know, I will open with is the most supportive, loving human being that I've ever known. And, and I love him more than probably anything on this planet. Um, but a lot of my, my own internalized homophobia growing up was I think in comparison to my twin brother, um, Mm. You know, he was, oh, he was always better at getting girls. Ironically, he was always, um, you know, the the faster one, the stronger one. um, He was always the one that 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 folks looked up to. And and I was always kind of, you know, Connor's twin brother instead of Justin. And it was always Connor and Connor's twin brother. And and I say that only because I think my um, obsession with movement and kind of this idealized physique of uh, the gay community that many of us know, for better or for worse, really started with that, um, you know, this, this need to kind of, um, I'm struggling to find the words, I think, um, you know, fit in or be, be accepted by the way that I presented myself. And the easiest way to do that was to look muscular and really excel in sports, and I think. Um so much of that is true, and I think i've I've been trying to untangle myself from that. I think I will continue to try to untangle myself from that. Um, but I but I did certainly become very addicted to exercise and and the need to fit into this gay community. Um, I think in the in the most recent years, my my work through therapy, of course, I always want to recommend therapy as a, you know, really vital, important resource that that some of us may have the privilege of accessing. Um, and uh, you know, some exploration of who you are and really your values. And I think value work, values work, has really benefited me. And and in really investigating like how movement and values fit into my life. And um, Again, I've kind of full-circled, and, and I'm such a believer in movement. I think movement, um, I don't think, I know movement, it does a lot to improve our moods, to um, you know, obviously improve our physical health, but also our mental health. I think I've become more invested in the benefits of mental health in the last few years. Um, but really starting to um, dip my toes, learn a little bit more about how movement can serve us, that isn't necessarily about the appearance um, that I think has really been a detriment to a lot of a, a lot of folks. Um, I work currently with eating disorders, like I said, and I I see kind of the the penultimate consequence of the fitness industry, unfortunately. Um, and again, we see a huge disparity of queer folks and specifically um, uh, gay males. Um, and I I think that's because, and the, the literature kind of eludes because our community really idolizes um these physiques that aren't necessarily meant for everyone and that can absolutely be okay so um very very roundabout story but um you know really starting to use movement as a way to improve all facets facets of my health my social health my um, you know, my mental health certainly, and, and finding ways to move with other people and um, learn new skills, rather than doing movement as a way to manipulate my body, that I think really plagued, um, really plagued some of my younger years.
1: Well, and I love how you frame it. You framed it so well. It's not working out. It's not lifting weights. It's movement and using your body to get that energy flowing talk about how you came to that realization that's that 55 year old of you peeking out again i mean that's very (laughs) deep thinking i like that you consider it that way where did that thinking finally come from do you think
3: um, you know, I have to attribute most of it to my work in eating disorders, and I kind of landed, um, you know, I want to say randomly, but I think many stars aligned to, to find myself in the work that is with eating disorders. I've had very close uh, close people in my life struggle with eating disorders. Um, you know, I think growing up, I had a lot of mental health issues around me that really confused me. and. Um, so I think my attraction to, uh, to being a mental health provider was certainly a lot of unconscious kind of need to like answer questions that um, really disrupted my family and, and my upbringing and my childhood. And again, wanting to mm-hmm. kind of fill this role model or be this model that I didn't have in, in my youth and, and wanting to change the narrative of, of youths like me. Um, I think a lot of my kind of anti-diet culture knowledge and uh, my continued knowledge you know i'm still learning is is coming from the eating disorder industry um um which which has really revolutionized the way that i move but um, you know i think we all have this kind of rock bottom moments and when i think back i think back to my my college years and um you know i think being vulnerable is so important and and some of these conversations i think are hard to have i think they're really useful to have um, you know, I remember waking up huh, so hungover in the gym working out that I would need to leave <laughs> um, because I felt like I was going to throw up and, um, you know, really starting to question when you hit rock bottom of like, why do I feel like I need to do this? Um, all of those things it kind of kind of keep crashing down on me at once. Um, You know, and when we look at addiction to exercise or just disordered relationships with eating and movement in general, I think there is a lot of shame with it and there's a lot of, you know, we call it unrelenting standards, like we can always do better. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of our queer community, um, particularly our community online and our communities on social media, really um, portray that and and kind of force a lot of our youth into that. And I think, you know, again, I'm always trying to own my own humility. I think there are a part of me that still fall into that trap, and and I'm trying to (laughs) climb myself out of it, um, certainly, and trying to learn, you know, myself how I can be a good role model. Again, you know, going back to values, what do I value and what do I want to be and the role I want to serve? I want to to empower youth to be who they are. in, in their queerness, in their body, in their relationship with movement, in their relationship with food, all things I'm so passionate about because they've affected me and the people around me. Um, yeah. And that's
1: a dual short, isn't it, because it is. I mean, when you get to social media something like that, you're, you are trying to sell yourself as a personal trainer, as a fitness coach, as a movement coordinator, And so you have to have the physique to back it up. And so it's where is the line Mm -hmm. of showing the physique that this is actually working? And where is the thirst trap, right? So you kind of got to walk that really fine line. I think that would be very difficult. That's a a tough road to hoe, I would think.
3: It is. You know, it it totally is. And I think, you know, you, you pay a cost. You either play with the devil or you... Um, live by your values and you, you know, hope for the best. And I think a consequence of that is not a large, a a large following. But I think that the following that you do attract are are folks that really interact with you and um, are are folks that you want to attract. And that's certainly what I've started to experience and what I hope to continue to foster. you know, I think I think there are a lot of harmful messages out there, and I think there are a lot of queer members in our community who, right now especially, are struggling with their body image and their self-concept, con- and, and um, even their identity and, and where they lie in the gender or sexual you know spectrum of identities. Um, and I think healthy exploration of that is fine. And I think there is a there's a whole spectrum of what health means. And unfortunately, I think. You know, most of our society would not agree with that. Um, but I, you know, I don't want to be a contributor contributor of that. Um, so I'm 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 hopeful to try and in some small, meaningful way, kind of um, step away from that. That's great.
1: Well, and it's just the nature of the beast. We all have this inherent, like whether you're an Instagram influencer with a million followers or some with 500 followers we're all looking to have our, the validation on social media of a like or a something, and you could get 500 great comments and one bad comment can ruin your entire day, right? So it's, we gotta learn Absolutely. to give ourselves a little break. It's really hard to, for each of us to kind of accept that it's okay not to be perfect all the time. And it's, 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 it's very tough. And I think, like I said, I saw you on social media first. I kind of went through your profile. To, to see if this is something that would be great for the listeners. And you do have that humility and that balance, or at least you're attempting to get it uh, in what you're saying in your mindset. But it shows to me and the outsiders that you've achieved it. Maybe hard work for you, but you're doing very well. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to feature you, because I think you have the right mindset. So thank you for that, for sure.
3: Yeah. No, no, I, I so appreciate hearing that. I think it's important to hear that. Yeah. Um... I I appreciate that.
1: Now, when you're doing, you you have people available to do personal trainings, and it seems like you take this very personally. You want to be not just their movement coach, movement trainer, but you want to make sure that you're there for them. If they need someone to talk to, you want to be like a a guidance person. How invested do you get in your clients? Are you able to keep that kind of distance too? That's got to be a little tough.
3: Yeah, um, you know, historically, I, I'm pretty invested. I mean, I I think of myself kind of as like someone's online best friend, and and I I need to preface that I am not a licensed therapist, and and you know I don't do that work. I'm I'm an aspiring um, nurse myself, actually, and will be going to school next year for that. Um, so nice. I I really, I mean, I've learned and I've really appreciated from Instagram, which is the platform I kind of exclusively use, like the ability to interact with youth um, very personally, Um, you know, hearing their problems and being able to walk through their problems um, is is fantastic. And, And it's been fun to build a platform that uses movement as kind of an adjunctive to therapy. Like, how can I... How can I use movement to improve my mood or my self-concept or my body image or my self-confidence or whatever it might be? Um, you know, I played around a bit with that during my undergraduate career um, in our counseling center. Like, how can we use movement? And, and I do want to be clear when I say movement, I don't mean we're going to the gym. You know, movement being a whole spectrum of, of things maybe it's a daily walk or maybe it's swimming or um you know at um, the treatment center i work with for eating disorders a, a lot of times um kind of surprisingly it's like playful movement it's it's kind of tapping into who we are as kids and just doing something that makes us laugh and that might be you know literally the other day we were playing just dance and and that was the movement that we did so How can we how can we be intentional with our movement and and kind of bring some laughter and fun into our life? Um, So that's that's been fun and it has been really interactive. I've taken a step back from it recently because I've been so kind of overworked, actually, surprisingly during this pandemic. But um, as I step into um, my work as a digital crisis worker and doing more kind of crisis intervention work, I think ultimately, what I would love to do with my career is kind of return to the to the movement and the personal training online. Um, that's something I've kind of taken taken a step back, um, just just real recently. But um, yeah, real interactive, and and it's been fun to kind of help. It's been fun and challenging and frustrating, um, you know, um, taking on that narrative that is so um, you know so prevalent in all in in all of us.
1: Right. Well, let's, let's segue into that. You mentioned it. You're, you're now working with the Trevor Project as a digital crisis worker, which the Trevor Project is such an amazing organization. I sing its praises all the time in the five years I've been doing this show. Talk about how that came about. Talk about your, your first kind of thoughts doing it live and uh, give me your emotions around that.
3: Yeah, the Trevor Project is an organization that is so close to my heart. And, um, you know, it's an organization I've used myself growing up. It's an organization I, I use as a resource when working with queer youth. Um, you know, it is, it is the leading, you know, suicide prevention network for specifically LGBTQ individuals. Um, they are just so, you know, the work they do is life-saving, um, you know, to say the least. Um, so, so honored to help contribute to that. Um, my, my love for Trevor kind of, kind of expanded, um, about a year, a year and a half ago, um, you know, they've always been in my life, but, um, I lost someone who was really close to me, um, by an overdose actually. And, and this was a queer mm, person who experienced, um, um, electroshock therapy in their youth and, and um, I'm I'm privileged, and I haven't experienced a whole lot of grief in my life. And and this was someone who I had dated um, for a couple months, and and you know I hadn't known for a very long time, honestly. But it kind of rocked my world at the time, as as grief does, and and any listeners who've yeah. experienced grief certainly know. Um, and there was there was some part of me that kind of um, you know, came alive um, um, through the death of this really close person to me, and and just a need to serve this really important population. Um, I so I committed my birthdays for the rest of my life, and it, it hasn't been any substantial. Sum. I think this year, you know, we pooled together a couple of thousand dollars for the Trevor Project, and um, I've just been so passionate about their work and. I started um, looking into some of their availabilities um, five or six months ago and I've been having some conversations with their recruiters and, um, and COVID kind of has um, brought a lot of need for more work. So I'm on now just kind of for the next six months specifically for COVID and, and kind of just doing that on top of my current work. And um, we spoke a little bit earlier about feelings around COVID and, and lockdown. And I think the meaning that I'm pulling from this is Um, you know, we are a part of a larger community and I think I am, I am finding my identity in that community and, and the um, how much it serves me to serve the community, if that makes any sense.
1: Well, it makes total sense and I'm so sorry for your loss, but you, you should be able to take solace in that experience, spurring you on to do what you're doing and knowing that his loss Mm -hmm. is actually benefiting so many other people down the line. So, Good on you for doing that, and it's an honor to your friends. So I, I love that. That's very, very cool. And you finding other yeah, projects you work with. Yeah, I appreciate that. Oh, you're very welcome. You work with the Out Foundation by doing a work WRK from home thing. That had to be kind of fun.
0: How do, you, <laughs> do you
1: like reaching out with these different organizations that kind of help you at such a, like you said, such a busy time right now? How do you find time for all these side projects?
3: yeah you know i I um surprisingly haven't really reached out to anyone um outlawed reached out to me and was asking for some online fitness instructors and kind of doing these classes and um that's been such a that's been such an honor to kind of guest star some of their weekly shows um outlawed for those of you who do not who don't know is a nonprofit who is working on inclusivity of all genders and identity. Um, specifically in gyms. Um, my my background during college, I, I was a power lifter, so I am very, you know, my movement, I I, I do some power lifting. Um, the movement that I do with clients is movement of all forms, but I just love Outlawed and um, their kind of activism and getting specifically non-binary and transgender folks into the gym if they want to um, and feeling comfortable and competent in that space. Um, so it's been really um it's been fun. I mean, I think meaning making is something that's important for me and I know it's not important for everybody, but I think during this time, I've been struggling to find meaning and um, in my activism with Trevor and in my work now with um, the Out Foundation, um, I'm finding some meaning and a way to connect to this community. And I think a lot of us are struggling with this kind of um, with with this isolation um, and finding meaningful ways to connect to. Um, people and have fun and be joyful and kind of laugh um, and get myself out of my comfort zone certainly has been um, really eye-opening and opportunities I think that I'm learning that I would have never have learned had this pandemic not happened so certainly would never wish for a pandemic ever and then if I'm going to search for a silver lining and meaning for myself because for me Justin that is an important part of my day. Um, you know these are the small meaning makings that I am
1: that I am making right that is fantastic well said my friend well I have really appreciated getting to know you we're going to do a little goofy five questions that I've been doing off air but I'll do with you on air in a second but I want everyone to know where they can find your website you have some great inspiration on there you have some great resources on there let everyone know where they can find your website and your social media
3: yeah you can find almost everything on my social media actually um i am not too spread thin on the interwebs if you just want to um go to my handle on instagram it's just justin listings um i've got everything linked right there i would say 95 percent of my activity online as of right now anyhow is through my instagram
1: very very well all right well you ready to play a little goopy five questions for me
3: let's do it
1: (laughs) all right left the straight show is all about entertainment foodies books and more let's talk about what is justin's favorite food and the next time my listeners are out at santa barbara what's a good recommendation for a restaurant to go to
3: Oh my gosh, my favorite food is definitely um you know, I could eat a burrito for the rest of my life. I grew up eating Mexican <laughs> food like all day, all the time. Um it would have to be it would have to be a burrito. Um where can someone go in Santa Barbara um it, very opposite of a burrito, but Stella Bear is a um, really beautiful French bistro in Santa Barbara that my partner and I discovered about a year ago, and it is now our absolute favorite. So um, if you're in Santa Barbara, I would
1: hundred percent recommend Stella Bear. Nice. Nice. And you said you want to be a writer and most writers read profusely. Um, when you have time, are you a reader? Do you have a favorite book to recommend or an author or a genre you prefer reading?
3: Yeah, right now I am really invested in leadership development. Um, I guess not super surprisingly after everything I just spoke about. Um, <laughs> and I think she's such a hot topic right now, but I, I you know, this is who I'm obsessed with right now, Brene Brown. I, I'm just absolutely obsessed with her. Um as I think most of the world is. Um, She is my guilty pleasure currently. I'm also just about done, and this is a huge book too, but The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle is a book that I have just absolutely loved and and, am learning a lot from.
1: Nice. Great recommendation. Thanks for that. All right, question number three. What two or three pieces of equipment should people have at home to work out if they couldn't get to a gym, we got a, another pandemic happen. What are a couple three things people should have around the house that would give them a good overall workout?
3: Um, ah, that's a good question. Immediately, I almost want to just say your phone and some Wi Fi because you can find like w- way more online resources right now nice. than you would ever possibly need. Otherwise, um, you know, I think you can do a lot with just some resistance bands um, if you have the economic resources for some dumbbells right now, which are like largely and crazily overpriced because everyone wants them. I think you can do so much with dumbbells as well. Um, but I think, I think just some resistance, band act- resistance bands actually, you can, you can get a lot of bang for the buck um, and some creativity with some, some items you probably have already in your house.
1: I like it. Very, very nice. All right, we're going to get into the serious questions now. Question three, or question four, question five. Number four, what is your favorite or most used emoji while texting?
3: Lately, it's actually been the girl who does cartwheels. And I do not know why, but it gives me a <laughs> lot of pleasure. Um, that follows, like, literally all of my texts. Like, I will be texting my boss. And I will just end every text with a girl doing a cartwheel.
1: (laughs) I like it. All right. And question number five. I'm sorry to say you're about to be stranded on a desert island, Justin. You have time just to grab your favorite album or CD and your favorite cocktail or beverage of choice, non-alcoholic, to have with you the rest of the time on this damn island. What are you taking with you?
3: Um, oh, my gosh. I, as everyone in my life knows, is that like the ultimate Taylor Swift fan. You said album <laughs> and you didn't say artist. So I'm struggling in my head to think of what album. I mean, I, I think I would go with her OG Fearless um, because I could listen to that for the rest of my life. Um, did you say non-alcoholic beverage or did you say alcoholic?
1: Non or alcoholic, whichever you choose. Some people don't drink, so I choose alcoholic. You can choose not, whatever blows your hair <laughs> Um
3: My mind went as immediately to, like, a really nice Bloody Mary. I would drink a Bloody Mary and mm. listen to Taylor Swift on an island for the rest of my life and be very happy.
1: Now, are you a spicy Bloody Mary? Do you like a little spice involved?
3: I, spice. Spice all the way.
1: Nice. Very good. Thanks for playing five questions, Mr. Justin Littleton. It has been an absolute pleasure getting to know you, my friend. Thanks so much for being on the Left is Straight show.
3: You are so welcome. Thank you so, so much for having me.
1: We will have you back real soon, my friend. Stay on the line for me. Guys, we're going to play out with a little song from my next guest, Jeffrey John's brand-new musical, Still Waiting in the Wings. And on the other side, we'll come back and talk to Jeffrey all about this great new show that premieres tomorrow. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network. Dear
4: city of New York, I have a message just for you. So I've worked up something snappy with my dear friend, sad and happy. To celebrate your best trait, your facade, and that base it brought. Get fully dressed. Come see why this town is the best. From 40th Street up to West 54th, including Lincoln Center, that's a bit further north. There's people made of glitter who can act, sing, and dance. They can charm off your pants. That's Broadway. Inside of each theater there's a buzz in the air As phones go off and people cough to show that they care And everyone's a fan cause they all stand at the end You don't like it? Pretend! That's Broadway! There's so many faces seeing so many sights Round every darkened corner there are aural delights Is that the sound of sirens? Are those distant screams? No, it's the sound of your dreams! That's Broadway! The world is your oyster if you've money to spend Around a hundred dollars by the big happy end Actors work forever, everyone is a star I don't know who they are That's Broadway Go for a bite when the evening is through Be sure to tip your waiter, they're an actor too One standard drink here is purely symbolic So don't be bashful, half the city's alcoholic Tap Cat break
0: For a new arrival, come see an old revival.
5: For a safer destination,
0: check out an
6: adaptation. But the bravest individual will fall for an original. There
0: are also plays here playing.
6: But there's no singing.
0: (gasps) I'm just saying.
4: So gather the clan, get packed and come get your kick. Forget the New York Yankees, Giants, Rangers, and Knicks. Every single moment is a torrid affair. It's love and hate, but mostly great because you made it there. Every day a dream dies, but why should you care? We've got hearts, but you fair. That's
1: Broadway. All righty, my friends, we are back. That was That's Broadway from the film that my next guest wrote, produced, in. He does it all, guys and gals. I can't believe he's making his very first appearance on the Leftist Straight Show, and it's about damn time. We've been talking to each other for three years on social media. He's been everything from actor to teacher, author to singer, with just a little bit of fairy dust thrown in between. He's been featured on stage, television, film, and the occasional theme park, and his newest film is the follow-up to his first amazing one, "Waiting in the Wings," and now finally on the show. We're all about to talk to "Still Waiting in the Wings." Please welcome Mr. Jeffrey Johns. Jeffrey, how we doing, man? Good. Thanks, Scott, for having me. I'm so excited to have you. As I said, we've been uh, social media friends for years now, and. Uh, the first film was so amazing, and we had so issues going back and forth. But we finally got you back on. I'm excited. Congratulations yeah. for the big release.
6: Thank you. Thank you. It's exciting to finally have this still waiting
1: the wings out. I'm really excited. Well, we are going to talk all about that. I have so much I want to talk to you about, though, because you're just such an amazing performer. You do so many really cool things, so a lot to talk about. Uh, let's start with the easy stuff. I mean, how are you up holding up here in Corona 2020? I mean, I have to say you are the greatest gunkle of all time just following your social media. You've kind of had that happening. Talk about what's been happening here.
6: Yeah, well, I um, unlike most people who are now, if they're unemployed or have all this time on their hands and are trying to figure out what to do, um, I also became unemployed, but I live with my brother and sister-in-law um, who did not become unemployed. They're still working. Um, but the daycare that they have their two kids in has closed. So they have a 10-month-old and a 2-year-old that I have been um, spending lots of time with, learning letters, potty <laughs> training. Uh, it's been an insane process. It went from the bachelor life, kind of, to um, Jeffrey Poppins, I like to say. Uh, it's been it's been something. It's been a journey, that's for sure. <laughs>
1: Goodness gracious. Well, it's been some hilarious um, looks on on uh, the social media. I think some dress up days have definitely been in the works. Definitely had some oh, fun yeah. there. So I think I they're loving having my, I think Uncle I, Jeffrey.
6: Yeah, well, I, I always brought my nephew to Disneyland because I worked there. He would go on special occasions. We'd go to Disneyland and he's really um, having his Disney withdrawal. So he asks, to dress up just to run around the house now um, he wants to send a video to Mickey Mouse to let him know we miss him uh, he's like let's dress like Mickey Mouse and tell Mickey we miss him so uh, anything that amuses him I'm, I'm all game because it's hard to amuse a two-year-old I find
1: <laughs> I understand that completely. Well, very, very cool. Let's start to make a little bit more about you, you, you here. I'll start from the beginning. Tell me what kind of a kid were you? Where did you grow up? And what did you first want to be when you grew up? You know, I, I grew up in Connecticut.
6: So um, New York was not ever too far away. And I remember in school, I was in high school, and I saw my first Broadway show. And I just knew I wanted to be an actor. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what I want to do. Of course, I had no idea how to do that. I had <laughs> a family that was not in the entertainment industry, uh, so it was just a lot of, of working and training and going to school and and trying to figure out how to uh, to achieve that. Um, movies weren't really a thought for me because I was in Connecticut, you know, and I was I saw theater. Theater was real. People actually exited the stage door, so I felt that was a uh, Um, tangible something you could achieve movies were not realistic I didn't even understand how they were made Um, but I did love I loved the arts and when I decided I moved to California of course years later and I got more involved in the the television world Um, when I decided to make my first movie I knew it had to be a musical I had to combine
1: that love and passion for a musical theater that's fantastic And we talked about what a great gunkle you are. You also are so good about children. You definitely have a love of children. You do at Disney, where you were Peter Pan. You worked on Sesame Street. You have an amazing children's book I want to talk about. What brought you to want to keep kids entertained and make them a forethought of your work? You know, I've always
6: always loved children's entertainment. Um, I actually have my degree in elementary education and performance. So it's it's been a long part of my life to always kind of have children's entertainment there. I think as a kid, I would go see those elementary school type shows, you know, the mother goose show. So, so that was like a big thing for me. Uh, and my mom and my sister are teachers. So I think it kind of just the the teaching part and the kid part was just kind of inborn. I guess. <laughs> Right, right.
1: Very, very cool. And talk about, I mean, you're you a very successful out-and-open actor. Talk about when did you first come out to yourself, and how has that journey been as part of the entertainment experience? Yeah,
6: um, you know, coming out wasn't really, um, you know, a lot of people like, I struggled when I was in elementary school. I didn't even know I was gay. People knew I was gay long before I did. But I think I was <laughs> just a really late bloomer in life in general. Like, I think, I would look at someone and say, I want to be like them. Maybe I wanted to actually be with them. I'm not really sure. Um, but it took a while for me to actually click, like, oh, oh, okay. Um, and it's just kind of, it's, it's who I am. Um, so it was kind of an uneventful uh, coming out, I, don't, I think, because everyone knew before I did. So it was kind of that I told someone, and they're like, um, so it, <laughs> I kind of didn't have that big moment. <laughs>
1: That's good, though. That makes it nice, easy transition. And then speaking of transitions, going from this love of working with kids, I mean, there's the adult Jeffrey, Naked Boys Singing, being on Chelsea (laughs) Lately, Boys Town. Talk about some of those other projects. What kind of draws you to a project that you're not creating for yourself? Well, you know, I have to tell you, I think the biggest thing is,
6: um, I don't like to put myself in a box and say, this is what you do. Um, I think there's so many great forms of art, and I just love the arts, whether it's children's entertainment, uh, more adult programming, uh, naked boy singing, definitely more adult programming. I'll never forget um, there was two weeks. Uh, one week I was doing naked boy singing. The very next week I was heading to Dubai with Sesame Street. So I don't really <laughs> feel that that we should necessarily limit ourselves. Uh And I think be proud of what you do. You know, do projects you think are good quality projects. Um, Naked Boy Singing is an hysterical, I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's an hysterical show. Oh, I thought yeah, I loved it.
1: Yeah,
6: I think it's kind of, I always say, it's kind of like Saturday Night Live. It's all sketches, though, about nudity. And I think it's really done so well. Um, So I think, as opposed to looking at um, is this too adult or is this too kid friendly? I like to look at things and say, is this a quality product? Do I want to be a part of this product? Would I be embarrassed about this product or would I be proud of it? And that's kind of how I how I fly. I know initially I did a lot more children's entertainment, but I had an agent who insisted I audition for Naked Boy Singing. I didn't want to audition for Naked Boy Singing. I'm like, oh no, that's too much. And he pretty much said, <laughs> we need to get you out of this this shell. You need to audition. And I tried to throw the audition, and they loved it. Uh, So so I kind of, and I kind of, after I did it, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad that happened. Uh, Because it, it really lets you take a stand and be who you are. And I think being naked on stage, once you can master that, I don't feel anything anyone throws you at an audition is ever going to really get you. I think being naked on stage is probably about as vulnerable as you can get.
1: I can imagine. Goodness. And you were an Eagle Scout, so you're prepared for anything. Be prepared, right?
6: <laughs> Be prepared, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think scouting was great for me. I mean, a lot of people will talk different about scouts and stuff. I love scouts. I had a really wonderful troop. Uh, in fact, in scouts, is one of the things that I got to uh, perform. Um, our scout troop has the oldest running minstrel show in the world, and I would perform in it every year, and I would sing solos, and And so it was a great way for me to actually continue my love for the arts and kind of uh, figure out that path. So uh, Scouts was great for me. I also did the rugged camping, which people wouldn't imagine. I I need to go out and camp more. It was a lot of fun. I mean, I loved it.
1: I love camping. I actually, one of my former lives was a program director for the Anaheim YMCA and I was in charge of all the Indian guide camping programs and got to go out with all of them. And I loved every second of it. It was so much fun. I I think it's great fun. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. It is. It's good. It's good to get out in nature, commune with nature. So very nice. And I mean, You have such boyish good looks and that million-dollar smile. So, I mean, you could get away with playing anything from, I think, 12 to to 40, my friend. That smile is amazing. I love it. Talk about what was the impetus to write the first movie. Let's start with um, Waiting in the Wings, the first movie. Um, What was the impetus to write that? Uh, Where did that come from? And how long did that take you to bring it from idea to starting to workshop it? Um,
6: Well, Waiting in the Wings, um, I have a very specific moment that it all came to be. Um, Believe it or not, I was in my second production of Naked Boy Singing. I got cast in the Las Vegas production after I did the show in L.A. They asked me to join the, the Vegas production. And they were celebrating their hundredth show, which is, that was a big deal. And they had this big party. And we were going to, we were being brought as guests to these clubs and stuff. Now, something you don't know about me is I'm very much a geek. I'm very much a geek. I'm not into anything cool or contemporary. Clubs, bars, <laughs> not for me. If you want to have fun, like, I'm like, oh, my gosh, let's go see a musical. Or let's go volunteer at an organization. I love that. I love actively doing things and making a difference and, or experiencing the arts. Uh, so clubs don't do that for me because I don't even listen to that music. Um, so, but we had to go to these clubs. And so, you know, of course, part of my agreement, you know, to do the show is you do their publicity events. So, of course, I'm going to go. And it was the first time ever right. I been to a club where they had go-go boys. And I was looking at these go-go boys and they were good looking guys, but their dancing was not on point. I'm talking, (laughs) they didn't have good turnout. And I'm from a ballet perspective, I'm looking at these go-go boys. And I turned to my, my friend in the show. And I said, Oh, I said, that's so sad. They're just not that good. And he goes, well, that's not what they're looking for. When I told him I was looking for technique and he says, you know, Jeffrey, I know the guy who, who hires them. Do you want to come to Vegas um, earlier? Because I used to work at Disney on Monday through Thursday, and I was in Vegas Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And I, he said, if you want to come out earlier or you want to work the weekends, I can get you a spa. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. I said, if you have me swinging around that pole, I'm going to be like Gene Kelly and singing in the rain. And I'm going to be tap <laughs> dancing around that pole. And I stopped and I chuckled. I said, that would be such a funny idea for a film. And so that was the very first moment, the idea of creating this story where someone was in the wrong position. Like, he's a dancer, but he's not that kind of dancer. And that whole mix-up came. And at the same time, I was just on America's Got Talent, and I love the reality show competition. And it just kind of all blended. I'm like, oh, my gosh, wouldn't it be funny if this one guy who doesn't belong here goes to this show, and the other guy who's a stripper – Get sent to the musical, and it just it just kind of evolved. Uh, I went to one of my buddies who writes music, Ari Gonzalez, who's brilliant, uh, a songwriter and brilliant writer. And I said, "What do you think?" And he said, "Well, it's not horrible, this script you wrote." That's a huge compliment from him. And he <laughs> sat down and he wrote a song, uh, which was "The World Needs Music," the first song written for the show. And we just kind of built from there. I got some other songwriters involved, and. And the first movie was born. Um, Lee Merriweather was the first person who read the script who was a, a celebrity type who just loved it and came on board. And then Sally Struthers and Christopher Adkins, and then eventually Shirley Jones joined the cast. Um, so I had never made a movie, but it kind of got bigger than I could have ever imagined. Uh, and I was, I was just thrilled with the cast that we assembled for the film. Uh, so that's how the that whole Waiting Wings idea came about. Um, but we're still waiting in the wings. The first thing I said is, I'm not a big fan of sequels. I, I don't really like sequels, and here
1: I, I'm making a sequel. So the one thing I, I was question. adamant Did, when about you is... my question. When you wrote the first one, were you thinking about a sequel down the line, or was this a one-off thing you thought you were creating at first? You
6: know, I didn't really think much. I mean, I didn't even think I'd make a first movie, quite honestly.
1: So I, I don't <laughs>
6: think I could think that far. Um, but when I decided... Um, we were going to make a sequel, I said, I don't want people to have to see the first movie to see the second movie. I want it to be a standalone. If they didn't know there was a first movie, they could watch the second movie and be completely filled in on where everyone's going and where they came from. Um, So I even had people watch the second movie after our initial filming and say, were you confused at all? And if they did, if they were, if they said, oh, I didn't quite get this, we did reshoot to make sure we fixed any of those problems. So you don't need to see Waiting in the Wings to see Still Waiting in the Wings. Um, I think that's really important. We screened at some film festivals that did not screen Waiting in the Wings. They screened Still Waiting in the Wings, and they had no idea it was a sequel. So I'm really thrilled with that. Um, but I think it's, it's really so important, smart. especially in indie film, to make sure that your movies stand alone. My dream has been to make a Christmas musical. So I don't know if this one does well. Maybe we'll see a little holiday musical in the future.
1: <laughs> that would be amazing. Everyone knows that I'm a, a sucker for a Christmas, Christmas movie. I will produce. I will Get me on as a producer on that one. I would love that. That's fantastic. I'm telling you, obsessed with Christmas movies. I'm like, it's like a... <laughs> It, it is. I mean, I, I'm sucked in from November 1st through Lifetime and Hallmark, and till the end of the year, I am just watching them all the time. I record the ones from the previous year. I watch the new ones each year. So if you make a Christmas musical, I am there. Put me down as a producer, and I'll be there. That would be amazing. Well, we should talk uh, in
6: about two months. Based on how this one does, we may consider... I don't know if it'll be the same casters still waiting at but I would like to use most of them because I just think the musical feel is, is so
1: great for a Christmas movie. Right. Right. Very, very cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, the first one was amazingly directed by Jen Page. You brought Alan Q. Brock on this time. Um, they're both your, your story, but what did they bring vision wise? Um, was it a nice, change in vision for you it seemed very consistent but as you said it's a standalone movie what was what was your Um, takeaway
6: yeah so Alan obviously when Alan came on board to direct uh, the sequel he obviously watched the first movie and we we sat down we talked about a lot of things in the the movie and tones and the characters and you know the thing with the sequel and, and bringing in a new director for the sequel is the cast is so on on point with their character. I mean, Rena Strober knows Rita. I would question myself if she did something, and I'm like, Rita wouldn't do that because Rena Strober knows Rita. You know, same with Adam Huss and Tony. I think all the actors know those characters so well um, that it kind of made it easier for Alan to come in and just direct the piece uh, with angles and direction in that way. But I think the cast was so point on with the. Uh, with their characters, which made it nice. Um, We also have, of course, the challenge, you know, I think a director is so important. However, in a musical, the director isn't always the person in charge. (laughs) For example, when it came to dance numbers, I mean, Alan's not a dancer. We really had to leave that to our choreographers. Uh, When it came to musical songs, you know, we have Ari who was involved with the music. Um, you know, it's. I think everyone kind has to, to take a turn, and it's kind of like fitting this puzzle together and the director making sure everything uh, molds so well from song to dance to dialogue. And I think Alan did a nice job with that.
1: I love that. I even think he's about brilliant. That. Alan's That's brilliant. I mean,
6: you, he's a brilliant guy.
1: Very, very cool. Well, let's talk about the difference. I mean, the first one was, like you said, kind of a fish-out-of-water mix-match story. This one, there's a villain involved, and it just has such a fun, melodramatic feel to it, yet such vibrant energy still. Give everyone a little bit about the plot line of this movie. Well, I think this one is, is a lot more fun. I think the
6: first one maybe had a little more heart. I think this one's a lot funnier because we do have a villain, and I think it's about that cutthroat, th- cutthroat antics. musical theater people how do you get ahead sabotaging wait a minute this person's too (laughs) close to my type and how far do we go to kind of get the other person or are we the person who's being gotten you know being sabotaged and convincing people you know I think a lot of performers we've all met performers who are just a little too much and they're a little too Conniving. I mean, we've all, in all walks of life, but I think especially performers, you find that. Now, I wouldn't say it's the majority, but I think we've all experienced one of them sometime as a performer. And I think (laughs) I got to bring this character, Bradley, that kind of was pulling together different people I knew and talking to different people about those horrible actors that they just never want to work with again and kind of creating this character, which was super fun. I mean... I think he is a villain that is so laughable. Every time he does something evil, I I like want to applaud because uh, Joe Abraham was amazing as as Bradley.
1: Well, the entire cast is amazing. We talked about, like you said, the first film, Shirley Jones and Lee Meriwether, Sally Struthers. Of course, Lee Merriweather cover – or character shines through and continues through on this one sally struthers back again plays a different character you have chita rivera i mean legend now filling in for your broadway diva and you've added like you've upped the game patricia richardson ed asner seth radeski i mean talk about this dream casting you keep getting my friend
6: it was a dream I, i'll be honest um well, the one thing I knew about this when we were going into make Still Waiting in the Wings is that it was going to have a number, a musical number with Lee me, Merriweather because she is perhaps one of the most gracious actresses you'll ever meet in your life. Um, so much energy, so much love, and she loved the film. And she would go to a lot of film festivals with me. And she would jokingly say on stage, I've always wanted to be in a musical, and this was my first one ever. Of course, I wanted to sing, She's like, but Jeffrey doesn't think I can. <laughs> uh, I'm like, That's I'm gonna be getting hate mail, Lee Merriweather. Uh, so, um, but she, she's so lovely. So, um, and she was the first person to really believe in me, and she just was so warm. And she's like one of my best friends at this point, for real. I said, what I want to do is I want to give her that moment she deserves. She needs to be in a musical number and she needs to be featured and she needs to be glamorous and she needs to have dancers dancing around her. So that was the start of how still waiting in the wings was to be. I'm like, here's a number, now I have to figure out how I'm making a show. And that was kind of that was kind of the start because I wanted I, I just love that woman so much.
1: Well, the story came together beautifully, my friend. I love it. And again, I mean you bring in uh Sydney Cindy Williams as the owner of the restaurant, Bruce Valanche cameo as the chef. So uh, when, when I mean, it's, I love Bruce being this silent, just his faces throughout the whole thing until he gets his final screen to grow up at the end. That was just classic. They were just all well, so well-written. It was great. Well, I, and the sequel, I have to say, the sequel came together
6: much quicker than the original because um, Ari Gonzalez is, joined me and we co-wrote the sequel, um, which is great because I think writing is so lonely. Um, So we would take and write like three scenes and come together and then kind of battle it out and then go away, write the next three scenes, come back, battle it out. And it moved the process so much faster. And I wanted to do that. I wanted to get it done. I I love creating work. I, I love seeing what we create on the screen, but it was so fun to do that with someone. And no one knew the show better than him. So it
1: was great to work with him on that. And let's talk about it. Like if we're talking about the guest stars. Let's talk about your core group now, because I think you really do to have the chemistry together between all of you. It was just so amazing. I mean, Adam Huss, fantastic. Rena was, we're going to play her song at the end. Her voice is beautiful. Blake, Not a bad person to look at. I mean, just a great (laughs) core cast. How did you guys all get along? Well, I have to tell you, the neat thing
6: was we made the first movie. We did festivals together. And I actually hang out with this cast all the time. Um, I've seen a lot of them on a lot of occasions. And so it was kind of like bringing your friends back to work. It was absolutely incredible. Harrison White, Blake, it was just incredible to bring them all back and I said the one person that was new was was poor Joe Abraham who was playing Bradley. Everyone <laughs> else, unless they met a one day spot, we had been friends now since Waiting in the Wings came out. Um, and I, he just blended with that cast so well. Um, and I and it was just it was just super fun. Going to work every day was going to play with my friends. And. And mess with my friends, like making me Lee a meow in the movie. That was my little. <laughs> <laughs> I caught you now because it's in the script.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. No, there's some great Easter eggs in there, absolutely fantastic. I want to take a quick little break before we wrap it up, because my favorite scene in the movie is between you and your char- your, your character and the character Lee, your boyfriend played by Blake. And it's uh, you guys have a little reconciliation after a little issue happening. And I think this is just a great song and just an amazing moment. Talk about bringing that moment to life, and then I'll play this little song here. Um,
6: yeah, you know, I think in every relationship you go through challenges. Um, I think in the musical theater world, sometimes those challenges are heightened, uh, and the drama could be a little bit larger than Someone living in the normal world, as opposed to the heightened reality of musical theater. Um, but I think the nice thing about this this moment we're going to hear the song is it's about a real moment between two people who truly love each other, but have been divided, unexpectedly, misled down different paths. Gossip doesn't always the best thing to listen to. In um, this moment that says, "Hey, this." this is about us, let's, let's, get, let's, let's work this out, I'm here, I'm sorry. Um, and the only way Anthony understands things is through song. At least that's what the character Lee believes. So he created a moment in a song to express that emotion um, that he was feeling. And I think as a musical theater artist, nothing speaks louder than, than
1: uh, sung words. Well said And let's prove the point This is a song I wrote for you From the musical Still waiting in the wings We'll be back on the other side In just a couple minutes here
0: There are things I haven't told you There are things I think a lot Like I'm so happy when you're smiling That it's hard when you are not Words are not my forte Especially when they're overdue So I put a few together In a song I wrote for you There were boys who played me music and I thought I liked the song But I think I hated silence And that's why I sang along You make more than music You make others hear it too And I wanted you to hear it in a song be here, you'll see, and now we have a song you wrote for me, and a song I wrote for us.
1: There you go, we have Lee singing to Anthony. Such a great scene. You guys, you're going to love this when you see it. Um, Talk about, I mean, there's lots of musical numbers in here. Your composer there worked his little bunnies off. How many songs are there total? 12, 15?
6: We have a a lot of different composers. We brought back everyone who was in the first, who wrote for the first movie. The nice thing about the second movie is we already knew the characters and we knew their range and we knew their type. So we wrote the song specifically, like that song was written for Blake. It was not just Blake has to sing this song. It was written for Blake. And that was written by Matthew Lee Robinson. Um, but we do have an incredible, incredible team of, of songwriters. In the original film, the reason I had multiple songwriters was because I had never done a movie, and I would never get an incredible songwriter to write a whole catalog of songs for me. So I thought if I could beg them to write one, I was doing well. But it worked so beautifully that I asked all of them if they would come back and write, Again, and, but Matthew Lee Robinson, the one who wrote that song, this is—he wasn't—he was one of the only songwriters we brought in for the, for the sequel only. Uh, he hadn't done the first movie, and he did an incredible job with songs. In fact, he did the first song, that's Broadway as well, which you played earlier.
1: Nice, I love. Well, just every number is just so much fun. Like this, just a fun, feel-good movie. So I'm so excited about it. Now let's talk about it. We're actually going to debut it then this Friday is the big debut, right? Tomorrow. Um, so let's talk yeah. about in the age of Corona. We have this big premiere coming out tomorrow on Friday. you got to be super excited, but it's also got to be kind of weird, right? Yeah, you know,
6: um, this movie's gone through a lot. Um, it was supposed to be released about a year ago, uh, but then my house burned to the ground with all the master files. So we we're lucky we were able to rebuild the film Um, And it is now ready. So we thought, great, uh, and we were set to go. And then, of course, the world changed with the coronavirus. And we were going to try to pull the movie and postpone the release again. And I was encouraged by so many people that, you know, people need happy movies in their life right now. Uh, People need theater and musicals in their life because all theaters around the country have closed. And this is as close as you can come to live theater without actually going to a live musical theater event. So I said, okay, well, why don't we move forward? And I think that's what we're going to do. And hopefully it brings some smile, some laughter to people who need it right now. And I know I'm in need of musical theater all the time. So if it could give some people that joy, it's a great time for a release.
1: I agree 100%. And where are they going to be able to have access to it on tomorrow?
6: Um, so you can – Always get things at our website, uh, which is jjspotlightproductions dot com um, but it's also going to be on amazon it's going to be on iTunes, uh, Google Play, and a lot of the the digital platforms that will be up on all those platforms uh, on friday so that's really that's really exciting for us, but it's finally getting out there
1: is very exciting, and we can't give away too much so uh, because you guys are going to want to see this entire show, but there's a little bit of wiggle room for Still still waiting in the wing. So I want to hear about <laughs> that possibility, but or maybe still waiting in the goddamn wing, because I don't know how to word that. <laughs> but before we can do that, we have an offshoot of the RID project. Talk about that for a second. Yeah, well, you
6: know, um, sometimes I think through bad, good things happen. Um, so when my house burned to the ground, about two years ago. um, Of course, it was devastating, and I was like, how am I going to afford anything? I didn't have insurance, and uh, the movie, the sequel, had melted all master files. Um, And I thought, everyone kept saying, you should turn Waiting in the Wings into a stage show. Well, now I was thinking, I need any creative outlet. Um, So I just started writing, and I called all the songwriters and said, hey, I want to use this song, but I want a new song here. Um, And Waiting in the Wings, the musical, is going to hit the stage uh, in September at the Rose Center Theater in Westminster, California, for its world premiere. We really are workshopping it, premiering it, and hopefully prep the show to get to New York for an off-Broadway run. And the exciting thing is it's incorporating music from the second movie as well. Um, We've added some characters, 10 original songs, Uh, so... I think it's really nice. I think it's really going to be a nice blend of both movies put together in this, in this fun story.
1: Woo. Congratulations. And are know we going to bring yeah a happy team of actors together again, or what's, what's your plan for that? Well, not for, they not, be able... I mean, remember
6: the actors, all, the actors all live up in LA and this is down in That's Orange what County. I thought, yeah. So, so as we kind of advance the show, uh, there may be uh, sometimes some of the actors may even pop in for a, a little special week cameo or something like that because, you know, they're the heart of the show and it would be nice to to, to keep them involved in some way. Um, but we're definitely going to have like a premiere where we invite all the cast to come down and, and do some special stuff with them.
1: That would be amazing. And if any of you producers have half a brain, you will give these guys a big budget and bring them to off Broadway. Terrific. That sounds so much fun. I love the legs this project has taken off for you, and I'm so happy for you. This is just a fantastic project, and as you say, we need a little fun in our lives right now, and this is just an amazing, fun project. So good on you, my friend. Well, thank you. Now, like you said, we've had so much kind of grind to a screeching halt in the entertainment industry. Did you have any other projects on hold while this was going on? Anything else, or has this just been your baby for a while? You just got to bring this all together before you really move on to anything else.
6: Well, you know, I, we were supposed to uh, premiere the stage show in April. Um, so we were in rehearsals. We were um, about a month in rehearsal. All the, the dances had been learned. Uh, the music had been learned. And then we kind of had to hold it. Um, we were very lucky that the theater didn't cancel the show. They just postponed it until September. Um, so I was I was really in the middle of, of, of the stage show, um, taking the center stage. Um, I, I do have some small ideas that I want to play around with, short films, um, music videos, video spoofs, some things like that. Um, Once this all ends, I feel now is the time to start writing and creating. So when it's over and I can actually see human beings, we can start putting some of that stuff
1: together. That is fantastic. I love it. Well, Jeffrey Johns, this has been amazing having you on. I can't believe it was three years in the making. I am so looking forward to the premiere tomorrow, even though I got a little sneak preview. Thank you for that. But listeners, you have to get this downloaded, stream it, order a hard copy, any way you can find it, because it's an amazing show, my friend. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And if you guys want to see the amazing life of a proud gay gunkle, um, talk about where they can follow you on social media and where they can find your production company and all your um, addresses there, web addresses.
6: Yeah, um, I'm at Jeffrey A. Johns on
1: Instagram and, in, and Facebook.
6: Um, and also the production company's website is jjspotlightproductions.com. And you can kind of look at the trailers for our movie, see what's coming up with the stage show. Um, If anyone orders a movie from the website and wants it autographed, I mean, I'd be happy to sign it. Um, They just need to let me know. (laughs) They just need to contact me and say, oh, I'd love it signed, because we're just so thankful people are supporting independent filmmaking, whether it's Still Waiting in the Wings or other independent films out there. If you don't support them, they're going to stop being made. So um, support your local filmmakers, your local creative types. You know, it's really important,
1: especially now. Well said, my friend. Well said. Well, Jeffrey, thank you so much for coming on the Leftist Trade show today. We'll have to have you back and maybe a sneak appearance in Palm Springs when we take the big gay road trip out there this summer. I think that sounds like a lot of fun. I'm ready. Yoo-hoo, little sun in the fun. I like it. Well, stand the line for me, Jeffrey. Guys, we're going to play out to the amazing Rena Strober with one of her songs from the show, This is Since I Found You. I'll be back on the other side. You're listening to The Left of Straight Show right here on The Left of Straight Radio Network.
5: When I was young, I heard the tales of princesses so very far away. Of knights in shining armor, the last minute rushing in to save the day. Where once upon a time would begin And happily ever after at each end The sun would set and she would get each thing That she dared to dream It didn't take me long to learn That doesn't often happen to a girl The place where dreams come true belongs. Princesses of other lucky worlds Where I come from you learn that people leave And knights in armor are for make believe. leave I come to think that none of it was true Till I found you Now I don't want a castle Cause I bet they're hard too clean And I sure don't want the armor I want Nothing in between Do it on my own And celebrate each dream my hand. alone But now I see that it can all come true Since I found you Now I refuse to question how or why Cause there you are A simple, honest guy. To me, a dream sometimes comes true.
1: Since I saw and we are back. That was still waiting in the rings by Rena Stober. Oh, my goodness. Such a great show, you guys got to get it tomorrow. It comes out tomorrow, just a few short hours from now. still waiting in the wings, a fantastic cast. thanks so much, Jeffrey Johns for coming on and talking about it. A big shout out to Justin Littleton. Be sure to follow him. Justin Lifts things as his website and his social such a great young man, like I said, wise behind his ears and looks about five years younger than he is. Um, great guy. And a special shout-out to Stephanie Schroeder, our brand-new special correspondent, and her very first Mental Health Minute. And we're going to have some great people coming on over the weeks. Uh, we have Stephanie with Mental Health. We have Ed Salvado with LGBT Travel. We have Jake Dean Taylor and Jason Caceres for Fitness. We have, for music, Zach Day and Jay Knight. And for entertainment, we have J&J Buzz, Josh and Jeff, and we have the Empress of Hollywood, Mr. Enoch Miller, and we have from Call Me Adam, Adam Rothenberg. And for luxury lifestyle, we have from Hamptons to Hollywood blogger, Mr. Kyle Langen. So some great experts as part of the Left and Straight show. They will be on once or twice a month throughout the weeks here. Thanks to them. And thanks to you for tuning in. I hope you follow on social media. On Twitter and Instagram, it's at Left of Straight, always spelled L E F T O F S T R and the number eight. On Facebook, it's Left of Straight Show Page. And my personal Facebook, Scott Fullerton, is public, so you can send me over a friend request. And please download the app and subscribe at your favorite podcast distributor iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, all of them, we are there. Have a great night. We'll be back tomorrow with our last show of the week. I have Jake Taylor doing a special fitness live fitness minute um, starting us off tomorrow. Then I have a great film I'm previewing. It's called Dominic Cord, and the writer and director Jeremy Laroe and – Clayton James from Canada are calling in to talk about this amazing short film. It's an LGBT country-western film. Uh, country-western star is outed called Dominic Chord. It's going to be hitting all of the film festival circuits and coming out next week to, I believe, Deku and Video on Demand through Vimeo. So I'll have those two people on. Then one of the cutest couples on the planet, Scotty Dynamo and Mike Heslin, uh, are coming on the show to talk about their new film that they put together last year. And just to catch up with me. So a great show. Five people on tomorrow. Jake Taylor, Jeremy LaRue, Clayton James, Scotty Dynamo, Mike Heslin. It's be a good time had by all. We hope you'll be here. Have a great night, everyone. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.